Amy, have you ever heard people say that the eyes are the window to the soul? Yeah, doesn't that mean you can tell a person's intent by looking at their eyes or what they're thinking or feeling? Yeah, something like that. I mean, with some people, it's like you can see the story of their life right there in their eyes. And it turns out that is even more true for fish. Excuse me? Yeah, fish. A fish's eyes really can tell you its life story. Or rather, its eyeballs can. Its eyeballs? Okay, that's a little gross. But I'm intrigued, so do go on. Well, to be even more specific, scientists call the lenses of a fish's eyeballs archival tissue. So think of it like tree rings, which can tell you the age of the tree and the climate where it grew. Fish eyeballs are just as revealing. I learned this from Miranda Bell Tilcock with the UC Davis Center for Watershed Sciences. You can actually look in the fish eyes by peeling away these different layers that they are made up of and identify what habitats these fish were feeding on throughout their lives and what kind of food that they were consuming throughout their lives. Okay, that is truly amazing. How would anyone know that? Was Miranda one day just like, hey, I'm going to cut into the fish's eyeball to see what it's eaten for lunch? (laughs) Well, um, it's a little more complicated than that. Of course. I suppose we should unfold it. We will. And it's important because knowing where a fish has been and what it's eaten can make a big difference in how we go about trying to protect and restore their habitat. So we are going to be peeling back the layers one by one of fish eyeballs. Ew, I think you just lost the audience, cat. <laughs> <laughs> nah. We're calling this episode of Unfold, How Nature Tells Its Story, part one. Coming to you from UC Davis, this is Unfold, a podcast that breaks down complicated problems and unfolds curiosity-driven research. I'm Amy Quinton. And I'm Kat Curlin. So Amy, to really understand the eye-popping experience of fish eyeballs, I had to travel to the Yolo Bypass. This is just outside of Davis in California's Central Valley. For more than 100 years, the Yolo Bypass has diverted flood water from the Sacramento River away from Sacramento and Davis. It is not just a flood control project. It's also part of the Pacific Flyway for migratory birds. Also in the wintertime, what is less known about the bypass is that this is also really important habitat for juvenile Chinook salmon to use and grow really large on their way out to the ocean. Miranda has done a lot of work here among the rice fields of Nags Ranch, studying how fish use the floodplain. Today, she's brought me something very special. So first I'm gonna put some vapor rub on my upper lip because these fish are in different forms of decay and decomposition. She reaches into a container, her hands unfold, and out clunk two orbs into a plastic tray. I have brought you guys some salmon eyeballs. Specifically, large frozen adult Chinook salmon eyeballs. Well, just like a snowflake, every eye is different, but they all have different amounts of tissue still attached to them. And they're very, very large because salmon are very visual predators, and so they have nice large eyes so they can see their prey. I decided to take a closer look. On some of them, you can actually see this little white pearl-like structure that's starting to pop out of the top part of the eye there on like the thin part of the skin. Miranda is here to examine their lenses. And the best way to do that is by dissecting the eyeballs. So I have forceps and a pair of dissecting scissors. And what I'm doing is I'm cutting open the eye. Uh, This part's not very glamorous or um, 
nice looking. <laughs> Nothing about this is very glamorous or nice looking. And so I like to move it then to a different tray. And then I take two pairs of forceps here and these are gonna act as my hands and they're gonna to peel the lens. And first there's this kind of sticky sack that is on the lens that you need to remove. Here on the Yola bypass, she's using a magnifying glass to find the lens. But with most juvenile salmon, she uses a microscope in a lab to find the lens because they're so tiny. And apparently you need to peel the layers of the lens carefully. Otherwise it comes off in chunks. Oh, whoa, cat. Like that is totally disgusting. Need <laughs> you describe it in so much detail. <laughs> but I haven't gotten to the detail yet. Let me finish. Miranda says it's actually not disgusting once you find the lens. They're coming off and they kind of look like little flower petals when they're coming off here. A flower petal, really? Really? Yeah, once you get past the gruesome bit of pulling the lens out of the eye, it's really not that bad. And then, you know, you're also putting the eye back away so you can't really see it anymore <laughs> or smell it anymore. So then it's really not bad at all. <laughs> and then I think at this stage, it looks quite beautiful. It is like a little pearl onion and that you can begin to pull apart the layers. Yeah, I'm glad you can't smell it anymore. <laughs> okay, flower petal or pearl onion. Either way, this is surprising, disgusting, and yet really interesting. But why is she doing this? Well, Miranda says each layer of the lens can help us understand a lot. Each layer actually rep represents a different part of that fish's life history. And you can actually go back in time, similar to like a tree, rings on a tree. You can go back in time and look at those isotope values like carbon, nitrogen, or sulfur, things that you would find in the food webs of the, air, of the habitats that they have been in throughout their lives and actually see what these fish were eating and where they were actually rearing. Who knew? I mean, like, how did anyone know to do this? Well, it had been done in marine species before, but Miranda is the first to try it in a freshwater species, and she's really credited with advancing the technique. So the big question, why is it so important that we know what fish like to eat and where they've been? Carson Jeffries, a fish biologist with the UC Davis Center for Watershed Sciences, has a good answer for that. He was also out on the Yolo bypass with us, and he's quite the pro at dissecting fish eyeballs himself. The floodplains, we're an important part of the salmon habitat historically, and lots of that is gone. And if you spend a lot of money restoring habitat, you want to know if your money was spent well. And the problem is you can't ask a fish where it's been and have it tell you its story. But the work that Miranda's done has shown that you can look at their eyes and see whether they've been using these habitats or not. Carson says that's critically important, given that salmon are such an imperiled species. Salmon are not doing great in California. They're not doing great really in the lower 48 in the US, but you know, it's, uh, it's constantly in crisis management. And I think the goal is to ultimately have a place where they're at a sustainable level and we're no longer managing for crisis, but managing for sustainability. Yeah, you know, I suppose if fish could tell us where they've been and what habitat they've used, it would be a big fish tail anyway. <laughs> Very funny. <laughs> What's cool too, is that salmon aren't the only fish whose eyes reveal their history. This is applicable to any fish that has eyes, really. <laughs> that, you know, you can always learn more about these fish. Any fish, really, it's not unique to salmon. It's not unique to the Central Valley. There are people who are doing it in Florida and the Gulf of Mexico on marine species. There's also people who have done work on squid using the same technique, uh, which is really cool and something that I would definitely be interested in seeing someday, a squid eye. You know, I've seen a squid eye cat. <laughs> what? Yeah, I put my fishing hook right through it and out the other eye 
when I was deep sea fishing in the Gulf. Sweet, huh? And you call me gross? <laughs> okay, it's just not the same thing. Anywho, Carson recently took this technique to study fish islands in Brazil. They had just constructed the world's fourth largest dam and hydroelectric facility on a tributary to the Amazon. And we're using this to go back in time to look at what the food web was before the dam was constructed. And we were able to look into their eyes and hear their story of what they were eating before, the, before it was all different. That is wild. Yeah, and Carson and Miranda also work on a project that looks at fish ears for their history, otoliths. From the dead fish, we'll take the eyeball, we'll take the otoliths, which are the ear bones inside of the head, and those can tell you which rivers the fish were during their outmigration, that we use isotopes in the ear stones, and those are more like tree rings, and that they put on a ring every day. And we can go look at those rings and see which river it was in, we can look at the islands and tell which habitat within that river it was in, and then put that whole story together. So they studied the eyes and ears of fish. Exactly. That's actually the name of their project, the Eyes and Ears Project. So can scientists learn about humans using the same technique? Miranda says that so far, the technique hasn't been applied to mammals, let alone humans. You know, I've never peeled a mammal eye before, and I've definitely never seen a human one. Yeah. Um, but I know for birds and frogs, I've done those, and those were epic failures. Um, their eyes are definitely very different. Birds and frogs and fish, oh my. <laughs> I wonder what her lab freezer is like. <laughs> oh yes, Miranda is quite the eyeball collector. So I do have a bag of rockfish eyes in the lab freezer because my husband doesn't like it when I keep eyes in our freezer. <laughs> my daughter caught a largemouth bass one time in a lake and I saved the eyes and the ears for that <laughs> as well. There was the tuna eyes that Carson brought me back from Hawaii, which were really cool because they were huge. Yeah, that sounds really appealing. Speaking of peeling, Miranda actually offered to let me peel a fish eye while we were out on the floodplain. Ah, uh, the glamorous life of a science reporter. <laughs> How could I possibly resist? You want to just kind of like hold it okay, right there with the forceps and then just kind of start cutting into it um, at the top part of the eye. The top here? Yeah. So these are like, well, frankly, more rubbery and hard than I thought. Yeah, they're pretty, they're, these are really tough. I feel like I've destroyed it already. Oh, no, you're okay, good. Okay, what do I do you're now? Good. So why don't you trade out the scissors for another pair of the forceps? Okay. And then you can start opening up the eye. Miranda was super patient and supportive, which was important because I was not the quickest learner. Okay, okay, I'm gonna calm down and grab that. Yeah, hold it open and then and grab this. And your lens should just be... In the lens, I should just reach in and grab. Uh-huh. So after a bit more whining... Oh, Miranda, I might have to give up. And a lot of encouragement from Miranda. We prevailed. Okay, I I need, I think I need you to show me again. Where can I find this thing? Oh, okay, actually, oh, it fell Oh, it's right out. there. There it is. Okay. So, oh. There's your lens. You know, you're right. It does kind of have like a, this is totally gross. <laughs> and I don't even smell it. It just feels like tough and awkward and, and It is yucky very rubbery looking. feeling. And then you get the eye. Uh, the actual lens the part. Lens part. It's like a little, it's like, it's like pulling a little pearl little, out of an oyster. Or perfect little white ball. <laughs> so that was super fun, but I never did get to the core of the lens. Just when I felt like I was done, 
Miranda told me I had anywhere between like 25 to 30 layers of eye lens to peel. Wow, that is a ton of layers. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. But luckily, Miranda and Carson have it down to a science. And that is what makes this research so appealing. Oh my God, you thought I was so punny. You are. <laughs> it kind of gives new meaning to the phrase, keep your eyes peeled. Oh, we could go on and on with bad puns, but... Right? That wraps up this week's episode of Unfold. Next week, it's Nature Tells Its Story, part two. Caves and squeezing water from stone. You can hear more Unfold episodes at ucdavis.edu slash unfold. Thanks for listening. Unfold is a production of UC Davis. It's produced by Cody Drabble. Original music for Unfold comes from Damian Verrett and Curtis Jerome Haynes. Hey, if you like this podcast, check out UC Davis's other podcast, The Backdrop. It's a monthly interview program featuring conversations with UC Davis scholars and researchers working in the social sciences, humanities, arts, and culture. Hosted by public radio veteran Soterius Johnson, the conversations feature new work and expertise on a trending topic in the news. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.